Hey, it's Haley from the future here. I wanted to pop in really fast and let you know that this is a very old episode of mine. So please keep that in mind whenever you are listening. Please go ahead and check out some of my newer episodes because I have a ton of equipment now and I have editing software now and everything has improved quite a lot since the time of recording this episode. I have found that a lot of my negative reviews come from my older episodes, so please just keep that in mind. I am aware of the problems in these episodes, and I truly was doing the best I can. I was just recording on my iPhone, and I was editing from my phone as well, and it just really was not a great process for creating a super high-quality and produced podcast. So thank you so much for the grace that you're going to give me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please go ahead and listen to some of my newer episodes as well. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Doe Identify podcast. If you have not listened to any of my episodes before, my name is Haley and here we talk about unidentified people and how we can get them some more exposure and spread the word about them and their stories and really advocate for them and try to get to them their names back. Today I'm going to be talking about the Fond du Lac Jane Doe. I hope I'm saying Fond du Lac correctly. That is how all the news articles say it but it definitely seems like French or something and I am not a French speaker so I hope I'm saying that correctly. So this case doesn't have you know, a ton of information and details or, you know, theories. And so before I get into her case, I want to give some shout outs to some other podcasts that I have been listening to. I absolutely love podcasts, hence why I started one. And I probably listen to like 20 to 30 episodes every week. Not even kidding. And so I want to give some shout outs. So... My first shout out is going to be to the Moms and Murders podcast. I absolutely love Mandy and Melissa. They seem like the kindest people and they are just so entertaining with their podcast, but they're also respectful. If you are new here, you might not know this about me, but I love when podcasters find a way to give all the details without being disrespectful to the victims. I feel like some podcasts are just like... They love to talk about like the disgusting things that humans do to each other. And like I get that it's interesting, but at the same time, you know, the victim passed away or someone was hurt by those actions. And so I just am a huge believer in being respectful, but also giving the details. So Mandy and Melissa do a fantastic job at that. And then I also want to give a big shout out to Court Junkie. I I think she does such a great job in it goes through the actual court proceedings of crimes and so if you like true crime that goes into how people get prosecuted and what the lawyers say and their like defenses and stuff I think her podcast is so incredibly interesting and it's a very high quality and then I guess I'll just do three and maybe I'll do this like every three podcasts so I want to give a huge shout out to the office ladies podcast I'm a big office fan it is just the most amazing show and it has like a really big place in my heart and I was never one of those people who had like a very big sentimental value towards like shows but the office is just 
fantastic and if you listen to office ladies you get a whole new perspective on it and you get a whole new appreciation for the office and the production behind it and if you don't know what office ladies is it's the characters who play pam and angela so and so jenna and angela angela's real name is angela um they go through you know what the behind the scenes was like they go through what the people in real life were like and it seems like everyone was so nice and I hate hearing when celebrities are mean in real life and they're not very humble and so it's just great to hear and so yeah that was my three podcast recommendations hopefully I can kind of recommend more as I go on obviously I don't listen to podcasts enough to recommend three every week but I will continue to do that And also this podcast episode is going to be released on Christmas Eve. And so I want to wish all of you who celebrate Christmas a very Merry Christmas. I hope you have a great time with family. I know COVID's going around, but hopefully you can hang out with your immediate family or maybe um, some other people in your extended family. And I hope all of you just have a very blessed holiday. Now let's just go ahead and get into the case. So I found this case on the Dark Curiosities YouTube channel. That is a really great YouTube channel for just like five to 10 minute videos on true crime stories. I highly recommend her work. She has a lot of very great information and it's very well researched. And this case really intrigued me because she reminds me a lot of the Walker County Jane Doe just because of their ages. And it just feels like someone should be looking for both of them. It really tugged at my heartstrings and I definitely wanted to cover her this week. And so I hope that my podcast brings a lot of information about her. Okay, this is weird and I'm just going to say this, but every time I sit down to record, this is my third episode, I get chills like all over my body and it's not cold in my apartment and I'm wearing a big sweatshirt and pants and I am I just get the chills every time I record and I'm not entirely sure why but I hope it's like a good type of chills and it's like a sign from God that I should be doing this but anyways yes so her case was very intriguing to me and I'm very excited to cover it and it's starting to become an older case this happened in 2008 and I think that it's just very critical to get her face out there because as the years go on it makes it very hard for the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children and the Doe Network and whoever comes up with the facial analysis and the sketch of people it makes it a lot harder for them to predict how they would age. And so this case is already kind of an estimate of how she would look. And so it's already just difficult for people to identify her. And I think if she were to be identified, it would definitely need to be soon or else we're just going to have to rely on DNA, which is always a challenge as I went on a rant in my last episode. But with all that being said, I'm just going to go ahead and cover all the information about her case that I could find. So she was found by hunters on November 23, 2008 in Ashford, Wisconsin, which is in Fond du Lac County. She was found in a frozen creek on an abandoned farm and it was a very rural area. There's not a lot around it other than like deer and hunter sometimes. And whenever they discovered her body, they obviously called 911 and 
they had to chip away the ice because it was so cold out. You know, it's Wisconsin in the winter. It was so cold that they had to chip away the ice to extract her body from the creek. And her body was very badly decomposed. And so it's estimated she died in between July and September of 2008 rather than in the winter. And also because it's so cold in the winter, it would have preserved her body. So it's just very likely that she passed away in the um, mid to late summer. The medical examiner estimates that her age is between 15 and 21 years old. Her race or ethnicity is likely white and or Hispanic. I saw some reports saying that she could be Native American, Asian, or even biracial, as in white and maybe black or Hispanic. But on NamUs, it says white and Hispanic. And if you don't know, NamUs is a government database. Like it has a .gov website address. And so I definitely believe that source over any news reports or anything. So I'm just going to say she was likely white or Hispanic. I assume they would have added it if they believe that she was Native American or Asian. But it's just something to keep in mind. She is, she did have a darker complexion in this sketch. I'm not sure. I don't want to get gory, but I'm not sure if like any of her skin was still around after the decomposition. And so that's how they determined that her skin was more tan. But in the sketch, she definitely is tan. And she also has light brown to dark blonde hair. She had some highlights is what it looked like. But they weren't able to tell if it was natural highlights or if it was from bleach. And her hair was roughly 12 to 14 inches long whenever she was found and so just keep that in mind if you're thinking about someone that you may have known and her height is estimated to be 4'10 to 5'4 so she is on the shorter side and I'm not entirely sure why it varies so much I assume that it would be difficult to know the height of someone after they're already decomposing why it varies so much I am not entirely sure and unfortunately, her eye color was unknown, I assume, because of the decomposing again. And some distinguishing marks or features about her is the victim was likely pigeon-toed or knock-kneed, meaning that she probably turned her feet inwards a bit when she walked. And so that is a very distinctive feature. And she also had a healed fracture to one of her left ribs, but it was very well healed. And then something... Interesting is she had spina bifida occulta. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I'm not a doctor over here, but it could have been asymptomatic. And so she may not have known that she had it. And if you don't know what spina bifida occulta is, I did not know either. But it means that your spine was not fully formed whenever your mom was pregnant with you. And so it results in a small gap in the bones. It occurs in one out of 10 people. And so obviously it's very common. And now onto her teeth. She had an overbite, but it wasn't a severe overbite or anything like that. And she did have fillings and dental sealants in her back teeth. And so she did have access to a dentist at some point. And the clothing that she was found in was very specific. The investigators did an excellent job with the clothing portion of her case. I, When I read this, I was like, wow, great job. So she had a black strapless top on with a pink type of bow that tied in the back and investigators were able to track this down to Family Dollar 
and it shipped between July 1st and July 15th, 2008. So this was a brand new shirt if she was estimated to die between July and September of 2008. If you worked at a family dollar store in any of the states that she may have been associated with around July 2008, I would definitely check your memory to see if you remember anything or check to see if there is any footage of her purchasing this. If the footage is around, of course, it's been quite some time. And she had blue jeans on from the brand Blue Angels that were rolled up slightly whenever she was found. And she had no shoes or socks on, which is why investigators believe that there was foul play involved in her death. Just where she was found on an abandoned farm definitely seems like an, a place to dispose of a body. And then she didn't have shoes or socks and that means she like walked all the way there. So that's the main indicator that they have a foul play. And you may have realized that weight varied a lot as well as her height. And this is because the sizes of her clothing varied a lot. And so knowing how much she weighed at the time of her death was very challenging. And a St. Benedict medal was found in the water in the same creek that she was in, which is a frozen creek. And... They aren't sure if it belonged to her because it didn't have any DNA and they weren't able to tell how long it had been in the water. But a lot of people think this may have been hers. And so I looked into who St. Benedict was and he is often celebrated by Catholics. They have a lot of pendants with him on it or they, or they just celebrate him in general. And he is known to protect people from poisoning. And so I thought this was interesting and so I'll just jump ahead into cause of death. They don't know a cause of death. There were no broken bones or anything and she died in the summer and so she did not die of hypothermia. And so with her being very decomposed, it's hard to know the cause of death. And so I thought it was interesting that St. Benedict protects people from poisoning. This may be a stretch and I always talk about how we shouldn't like theorize or stretch things but perhaps this was like a sign from whoever killed her that she was poisoned i know sometimes serial killers like to give messages or something like that and so i'm not sure if anyone has looked into it and tested her for poisoning i didn't see that i didn't i don't even know if they could have tested her for poison so if that is just kind of me stretching and coming up with theories it's important to note that Catholics often carried that medal around. But later on, some other evidence was found. And so they did an isotope testing on her remains. And this is so interesting to me that they can do this. But they found evidence that she was from the Southwest United States, likely New Mexico or Arizona specifically. And they found that she likely resided in southwest Wisconsin, southern Minnesota, or northern Iowa for less than a year before her death. That is so specific. So if you were from these areas, think about if you knew someone from New Mexico or Arizona who like recently moved there. And because she is from the New Mexico area, a lot of people theorize that she was connected to the West Mesa murders. If you are unfamiliar with this case... It was a serial killer called the West Mesa Bone Collector. Unfortunately, 11 women and one unborn child were buried in the same location. And according to reports, all of these women were sex workers. 
A lot of people theorize that the Fond du Lac Jane Doe is a sex worker as well, and perhaps he just moved her to Wisconsin rather than burying her with the rest of his victims. But the Fond du Lac Sheriff's Office and the Albuquerque Police concluded that she was not connected to them. How they did this, I have no idea, but these women were found one year after she was found, and it seems that the murders ended in 2005, and so three years is a pretty big stretch, but they were found in 2009, and so her 2008 case was very fresh on people's minds, so I'm assuming that the big three-year gap is probably what threw them off or maybe they didn't have the same mo and so they concluded that she was not connected to them and so there is no evidence that she was a sex worker or anything like that and so today the university of texas has her femur for dna testing i'm not sure if this is for genealogy to see if they can put together a family tree usually it's the university of north texas who does that from what i have seen but Hopefully they find some information about her. I did see that they're trying to find out her ethnicity specifically, if she was white or Hispanic. And I also saw that they were trying to put together some more defining features such as like eye color or something. They have ruled out so many people that could have been her. And they've done a really great job at ruling these people out in a timely manner. It looks like they did most of the rule outs within 2008 and 2009. I saw a lot on Reddit and I totally understand the curiosity that people have, but please pay attention to the isotope information that they found on her before being like, oh, she looks like this girl from New York. I get that, you know, it's hard to, I get that it's hard to not want to make those connections and get excited and post them on Reddit, but it can kind of be a time waster and it does sort of take away the value that web sleuths can have if you're just posting random people in these reddits and I again I know they're trying to help but please just pay attention to the isotope information because that is likely very accurate and so if the person that you're considering is not from New Mexico and did not reside in Wisconsin, Minnesota, or Iowa for less than a year before their death or their disappearance, I highly doubt that it's them. And I think investigators would be very fast to rule that person out because of the information that they have. It's just highly unlikely that it's them. And so please keep that in mind while you are going through NamUs and missing people and trying to make connections. And also, if you are in these areas, be sure you ask around if some younger woman between 15 and 21 just disappeared from their lives and they haven't heard from them and maybe they're just like, oh, I hope they're okay and they haven't reported them missing or anything. expect that to be happening this week or next which is just so exciting and so I think that about wraps up the Fondue Lock Jane Doe story I really hope that we can identify her one day possibly through 
DNA. And as I have with my past two episodes, I want to encourage everyone to submit their DNA to GEDmatch. If you have tested your DNA through Ancestry, 23andMe, or any DNA testing site like that, they cannot use your information to identify Jane and John Doe's or perpetrators of crimes. Just with their privacy policy on their customers, they do not help the police out, which I get, you know, you want to protect your customer's privacy and not want to lose customers due to fear. But if you are passionate about identifying Jane and John Doe's and getting justice like me, please submit your DNA to GEDmatch. That's G-E-D and then the word match.com. I will also link them in my show notes. And so please check that out and consider doing that. I went on a full rant in last week's episode about Mostly Harmless. And so please go ahead and listen to that if you want some more information on how law enforcement uses it and what they do with it. And speaking of Mostly Harmless, I have a very exciting update. I knew his case was going to be solved very soon, but it seems that they have a name for him and some web sleuths have published his name and an image of him. I have seen the name in the image. I am not going to be linking it or anything like that. I want the police to do the announcement, especially because if the person that they believe he is is still alive, it would be heartbreaking to the family. That has definitely happened in the past where people say, oh, it was this guy. And then their family's like, what? Did he die? And so... I don't want to go ahead and do that, but in my opinion, it definitely looks like him. The story matches up very well. He was born in Baton Rouge, and he moved to Brooklyn, New York, and some Reddit users said that they were actually neighbors with him, and he did go missing, and so it seems to be the right person, and so definitely celebrate tonight for him, and do keep his family in your thoughts and prayers because they likely got very bad news, but I am happy for him that his family knows what happened to him and that he has a name now. And I'm thinking about making an update episode on him. I'm hoping that I can continue doing update episodes. Unfortunately, with some of the older cases, I doubt they'll be as common, but if I do cover someone such as Mostly Harm, where it happened just like two years ago, I do think that it will be more likely for them to get solved. But I do want to make a full episode just updating you guys on him and who he was and his life whenever the sheriff's office makes a public announcement on who he is. If you also love seeing whenever Jane and John Doe's get identified, I highly recommend following the DNA Doe Project. They are constantly testing DNA with GEDmatch. And they are also making announcements in collaboration with the designated sheriff's office of the case, who Jane and John Doe's are. So I highly recommend following them if you love some good news. And that is all I have for you guys today. I hope you love this episode. I hope if you celebrate Christmas, you have a very Merry Christmas. And I hope you make some great memories because 2020 was definitely a doozy for all of us and it's continuing to be a doozy. So I just hope that it is a nice, peaceful break of reality.
and what is going on. I just want to give a big shout out to everyone who follows me on Instagram and who's DMing me and chatting with me. I absolutely love hearing from you guys and it totally makes my day whenever I see that someone sent me a DM. I love hearing what you guys enjoy and it also helps me to shape my podcast a bit to see who you all are listening to and what you enjoy because at the end of the day, if you guys can't stand listening to me and if you hate my podcast, I'm not going to be doing the Jane and John Doe's justice that I am covering. And so please send me your recommendations and also send me your feedback for my podcast. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have any information about who the Fond du Lac Jane Doe is, please contact the Sheriff's Office tip line at 920 920- nine zero six four seven 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 or detective ryan murphy at nine two zero nine two nine three three eight zero or detective pete burgos at nine two zero nine two nine three three eight four